<laughs> Pull out your Bible, something to take notes with this morning. Look at your neighbor and say, God's not done with you. If you're new to church, we like to talk in church. We like to talk to each other. We like to shout and make noise. We believe church is a participation sport. Amen? We're all on the team and we all got a role to play. Open up your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter uh, 15. 1 Corinthians 15. Anybody love your Bible? If you don't, that's okay. There's a Bible underneath the seat uh, that you're sitting in. If you don't have a Bible, you can use it. You can keep it. You can give it to somebody. You could... What else do you do with the Bible, Beth? Read it. You can read it. 1 Corinthians 15. I'm going to read verses 1 through 8 as we get started this morning. This is a letter, uh, originally was a letter by a guy named Paul. He wrote to a church that he planted in a city called Corinth, which is where we get 1 Corinthians. And it says this, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word. Anybody holding fast to the word of God this morning? That I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. You can shout about that. <laughs> like you actually got saved. There we go. I mean, I was in sin. I needed saving, and I'm thankful. <sighs> Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. That means it's not a game. Okay, verse 4. I'm just getting stuck on verse 3. I wasn't supposed to, but I'm stuck on that part where Jesus died for my sins. Oh, touch your neighbor and say it's true. <laughs> Haven't had nearly enough smiles. We got the back row back there. Y'all are smiling, and you're doing great back there. <laughs> Verse 4, that he was buried, that Jesus was buried, and that he was raised on the third day. I don't know if we're going to get through this. <laughs> that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the Twelve, then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of, whom were most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. Paul writes this amazing little snippet of a letter to his church explaining, I've been to you, I've preached to you, and in case you forgot, here's what I preached. Jesus died for your sins according to the scriptures. He raised again according to the scriptures. He appeared to a whole bunch of people after he did this resurrection thing, and he appeared to me, and now we all get to follow this Jesus together. This is the gospel that I've preached, and he says, hold fast to this word that I preached to you. Are you ready to hold fast to the word of God? We are in a series that my dad started last week. Uh, we're calling, Where Do We Go From Here? Where do we go from here? We want to talk this Easter season about what is our response to the empty tomb? What is our response to this man, Jesus, who lived, made amazing claims to be the Son of God, predicted his death, predicted his resurrection, and then pulled it off, and there's an empty tomb? Where do we go from here? This demands a response from us. And last week, my dad started us off. Were you here last week? I know there's a lot of people on spring break. Last week was awesome. Um, I wasn't here, but I got to listen to it. And it was a great message that my dad preached to start our series off last week, talking about how this resurrection that we're talking about, this resurrection that we just read about, this resurrection that we celebrate at Easter, it's not just something that us cute little Christians believe with our cute little faith. 
that because it's cute and it's inspiring and it's got some good, uh, you know, values in the inspirational story and myth that somebody had raised from the dead. It's actually a historically uh, a verifiable event that we can be confident in and we can be confident in what we put our faith in this morning. And because that message was so good last week, because I know that not everybody was here last week, because I know that, like he talked about last week, and if you read a few verses later here in Paul's own words, he says, if this man Jesus, if he didn't actually raise from the dead, this whole thing is a joke, and us Christians are meant to be pitied, because this event is the linchpin of our faith, the most important event that we hold on to, and if it is in fact true, it is the most important event in human history. If that is true, then I want to just expand and take some more time this morning to expand on the fact that this is for real. And I want to encourage us that we can believe that this actually happened. We can believe that Jesus raised from the dead. And we're just going to talk a little bit more about this resurrection because after all, it's Easter season. And so we might as well. I'm going to spend about the first half of my message this morning Unpacking and expanding a little bit more of what my dad started last week. Did anybody think my dad can preach? It's good to have a dad who can preach. My message title this morning, I want you to write this at the top of your page, part two of our series, Where Do We Go From Here? It's just a simple answer to the question, where do we go from here? And the answer I want to give you this morning is, where do you go from this empty tomb? I want you to take this empty tomb just straight to the bank. I want you to go to the bank. Go to the bank. That's where we go from here. We take this thing straight to the bank. Jesus raising from the dead is not some legendary story. It's not a mythical, allegorical tale with good vibes and positive moral lessons to take. And we should all just be inspired and let's be Phoenix and rise from the ashes and be inspired. This is great. You know, some people are like, oh, it's cute. Even if it's not true, like there's some great stuff that we can take from it. It's not like that. It's not like that. I want to tell you that this is a historical event that you can take to the bank. And I want to give you five quick reasons before I, uh, I'm going to have like a five point long introduction before we get to the main point at the end. (laughs) It's going to be good too, I think. We'll see. Number one, five reasons you can take the resurrection to the bank. Number one, there are specific details. Specific details about this man, Jesus, the claims that he made, the things that he did, and the fact that he actually pulled them off. Nowhere in scripture do you see about Jesus or anything that he pulled off, including the resurrection, some sort of introduction that sounds mythical or fairy tale along the lines of once upon a time in a faraway land long, long ago. There's specific details Myths don't start with specific details. Like in Luke chapter 3, we'll look there in just a second. You can turn there if you want. We'll put it on the screens for you because we're looking out for you here at Antioch. (laughs) Luke was written, so the book of Luke was originally written by a guy named Luke. He's a medical doctor. And there was this wealthy benefactor at the time, right after Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, who had heard about Jesus. He had heard stories about what had happened. And he was interested in understanding who was this man, what did he actually do. I want an account of what really happened. 
So who can I trust? I can trust trust a medical doctor who knows how to study and research. So I'm going to bankroll this thing. And he bankrolls uh, Luke writing these two accounts of Jesus and his impact. And Luke writes the book of Luke, and then he writes the book of Acts. Luke, the the gospel of Luke is mainly about Jesus' life. And Acts is an account of what happened when the church started taking off. And he chronicles what the followers of Jesus were like. So Luke, it begins to write this account for this wealthy guy. His name's Theophilus. And he begins, his, uh, he's starting to tell a story here in Luke chapter 3. And in verse 1 and 2, he tells a story. And he starts off the story like, I hate when I do this. I always forget to bookmark where I'm turning. And it annoys me, and I'm sure it annoys you. Luke 3, verse 1, he says, In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate being governor of Judea, and Herod being tetrarch of Galilee, and his brother Philip, tetrarch of the region of Eteria, and Trachonitis, and Lysanias, tetrarch of Abilene, during the high priest of Annas and Caiaphas. (laughs) That's his introduction. And kind of like my message this morning is full of a lot of stuff before we get to the main point. His whole main point after saying all of that is this, the word of the Lord came to John, the son of Zechariah in the wilderness. He did all of that to tell you about a guy who wore camel hair and ate honey and bugs. That's not even about Jesus. And he gives out all of these details. He gives the year it happened, who was in charge of the region, who was in charge of the city, who the brother was of the guy in charge of the city and what cities he was in charge of. And then maybe another brother or a friend who was also a leader of other cities nearby. He tells you who was in charge of the churches and the religious sect of that day. Day, time, place, city, names. He gives it all. Specific details. Doesn't describe a fairy tale dream world that you sort of more than you sort of more feel it than like go to it, you know, like specific details. Just to introduce John the Baptist, there are over well over 30 other historically verified people deeply connected to the story of Jesus. From the beginning, this is not a made-up story. And you can take it to the bank because you've got specific details. You also have these specific details that they're believed and they're communicated instantly. They're believed and they're communicated instantly. Legends take generations to develop. They take generations to expand and embellish, but not the resurrection. Instantly, right after the resurrection, you get the exact narrative of the resurrection that we still have today. You get the early church giving out this message and communicating and believing this narrative that Jesus died and he rose again for the salvation of all mankind. He is the son of God who takes away the sins of the world. They immediately start telling this story. We read 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 8. We talked a little bit about what that verse was, where it came from. It's written by Paul, who wrote Corinthians. He wrote at least 13 of the 27 books of the New Testament. Maybe more, but we're not totally sure, but we're very confident that he wrote at least 13 of these books. And even there's like liberal scholars who who don't think the Bible is inspired and all that. There is no denying the fact anywhere that Paul wrote this right here. So even if he didn't do all the other stuff, we know he wrote this right here. We know that it was written, the verses we just read were written about 54, 55 AD. Jesus died in about 30 AD. So Paul has written these words to a church that he has already started within about 25 years of Jesus resurrecting. 
Also note, though, that he says that he's not telling them this for the first time. So he's writing it 25 years later. But he says, if you'll remember what I've already preached to you, he's giving a recap. So he's already been preaching this message long before he wrote this letter. And we can be very confident that pretty much all of the first copies of what we now have as the New Testament were completed and being circulated with a cohesive and consistent message centralized around this man, Jesus, rising from the dead within at most 70 years, within at, within at most 70 years after he raised from the dead. Not, they don't start showing up then. It's done within about 70 years. Now, lest you think 70 years is a long time, and you're like, I don't even know if I'm going to be here in 70 years. Like, that kind of sounds like a lot. Has anybody ever heard of Alexander the Great? Okay, seven or eight of us. That's all, elementary school. Next week, Antioch Kids, history lesson. Alexander the Great, massive character in history. Nobody debates, that, no, no, nobody debates who he was, what he did. The earliest biographical information we have about Alexander the Great that people rely on was written 400 years after he died. And nobody's standing up in school debating whether or not he was tutored by Aristotle or not, or whose son he was, or what cities he founded, or what he was like, what kind of man he was, or that he probably died of a fever after drinking bad wine 400 years later. And nobody has a problem with him. We don't bat an eye at that. So the entirety of the New Testament being completed and circulated cohesively and completely and consistently wrapping around this message of this man Jesus rising from the dead, all of it within 70 years, not just, cop not just one draft, but copies being copied and copied and circulated all within 1% accurate of each other with no doctrinal uh, deviation of any significance within 70 years is pretty good. It's pretty good. 5,000 manuscripts within 1% identical of each other. Nothing else comes close. And we're confident of all of these other things. On top of that, Paul not only is writing this within 25 years, not only has he said it prior to those 25 years, he says, I'm giving you something that was given to me. And if you read, well, it didn't really have this because I was getting stuck on some really good news in there. But if you read it kind of in a flow, starting in, in verse uh, 3, he says, Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve, then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at a time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. In, in the original language, it, sort of, it has this flow to it. It has this rhythm to it because in an oral tradition, a culture that had an oral tradition before everything was as easily text message to one another as we have it now, when they wanted to communicate something that would stay consistent and could be remembered, they would do what we do with our kids. They'd put a little rhythm to it or a rhyme to it or they'd turn it into some sort of thing that you could follow. They were trying to make things that they wanted to stick sticky. So Paul's saying, I, I was given this sticky thing a long time ago, I gave it to you, and now I'm recapping the thing that was given to me that I've already given to you. And he's basically, he's reciting this creed. And he's reciting this creed that is pretty clear that this wasn't something that Paul just wrote down with. This was something that everybody had heard before, everybody was saying, and everybody was sharing with one another around the early church. He was reciting a creed that was being used around the world by the church to establish sort of the theological and factual foundation of our faith. 
When they were going to new places, they wanted to say this, this Jesus, he died for our sins, according to the scriptures. He rose, according to the scriptures. And then he showed up to 500 people. And then he showed up to this guy specifically. And then that guy specifically. And then this guy specifically. All of these things happen. And this creed wasn't just an imagination or an imaginative uh, song that they came up to just teach their kids in Bible school so they would make them obey their parents. It includes specific people who would have been alive and approachable at the time that it was developed. So Paul's saying, like, he showed up to this guy who's still alive. You can go talk to him. He showed up to this group of 500 people. Most, some of them have died because it's been 25 years by now, but a lot of them are still alive. They still live in the same city. Like, you can go talk to these people. This isn't 400 years later. This is at the time of the event. It's actually estimated that this creed that they'd begun circulating around the early church had taken root among the people and was being shared within 12 months of the resurrection. Myths don't happen like this. Specific details communicated and believed instantly. These details, they're given pretty awkwardly, which is actually encouraging. Things are given awkwardly. Like if you've read the Bible, there's some awkward stuff in there. Just kind of throughout, but even in the Gospels. Like, if you read the Gospels, some of the stuff in there doesn't really make sense why it's in there, especially if this was all made up. Like, the disciples in their account of themselves kind of makes them look like losers sometimes. You know, like Peter uh, gets called the devil by Jesus, and then Peter denies Jesus three times. Mark talks about how the night that Jesus got arrested, something happened to where his clothes fell off and he ran away naked. Like, why is that detail there? <laughs> One, why did it happen? But two, why do we even need to know about it? Like, it's kind of weird that that's their, uh, the, the, the account of Mary, she sees Jesus at the empty tomb and doesn't even recognize him. Like, that's embarrassing. Same thing happens to some guys on the road to Emmaus. Jesus walks with them, talks with them. They don't even recognize him. Like, I wouldn't have put that in there. They lock themselves in a room hiding from everybody because they are sure that Jesus is dead. They're not expecting him to raise from the dead. They don't, that's not anywhere on their radar. Like, why would they put this in there? In other words, like, it reads pretty awkwardly, kind of like real life is awkward, because it was real life. Like, you read it, and you're like, this could have actually happened, because it did. And they just wrote it down like it happened. Number four, the details were adhered to stubbornly. They're specific, they're communicated and believed instantly, they're given to us kind of awkwardly, like real life, and they're adhered to stubbornly. From the moment of the resurrection, people began to hold on to the fact that this man raised from the dead, and it was at a very high cost to themselves. They had nothing to gain by holding on to this story. Within 50 days of the resurrection, People are holding on to this, they're preaching about it, they're telling cities about it, and then they're getting beaten for it, and they're getting arrested, and they're being put on trial. Friends are deserting them. Immediately, they're holding on to this with incredible cost to themselves. And all the disciples over the rest of their lives, all of them, all of them, all of them who claim to have seen this whole thing, been a part of this whole thing, suffered agonizingly for holding on to the truth of this story that Christ had risen from the dead. John, the one disciple who wasn't killed for believing that Jesus was raised from the dead, they tried to kill him. 
They boiled him in oil because he wouldn't say it didn't happen, and he survived and still didn't say it didn't happen, so they kicked him out into an island where he would live by himself. Like, ah. They suffered. They were stabbed. They were beaten. They were crucified upside down. They were sawed in half. They lost their heads. And they weren't doing all this all together. Like, come on, bros. Like, let's hold on to the end. We can do this. You know, like, they died alone. They died painfully. And not one of them ever denied it at all. Charles Coulson, who helped pull off Watergate. We've heard about Watergate? Forget Watergate. Who helped pull off Watergate, and then he ended up going to jail and becoming a believer. He, he, he said this, and I know this isn't like necessarily scientific fact, but it sure makes a whole lot of logical evidence when you hear him say this. Charles Coulson said, I know that the resurrection is a fact, and Watergate proved it to me. How? Because 12 men testified that they had seen Jesus raised from the dead. Then they proclaimed that truth for 40 years, never once denying it. Every one of them was beaten, tortured, stoned, and put in prison. They would not have endured that if it weren't true. Watergate embroiled 12 of the most powerful men in the world, and they couldn't keep a lie for three weeks. You're telling me the 12 apostles could keep it alive for 40 years? Absolutely impossible. Number five, the resurrection has stood up to scrutiny. When you dig into myths, they pretty quickly lack any authenticity because there's nothing there because they're a myth. In the gospel, this story of Jesus dying and being raised from the grave has been scrutinized for 2,000 years and it's still standing. Billy Graham said that if he was an enemy of Christianity and he wanted to take the whole thing down, he would just aim all of his weapons at the resurrection because it all hinges on that. And he said he would, but people have been doing that for over 2,000 years, aiming everything they've got at this thing, and it's still standing. People have been poking, but the resurrection still stands. For 2,000 years, people have been trying to disprove this, and nobody's disproved it. And in fact, a lot of people trying to disprove it have actually come to faith because of what they found as they tried to poke around in it. And people have come up with all kinds of theories about how this didn't happen. People will say things like, he didn't actually die. He didn't actually die on the cross. And like, it's just a, that's just absolute nonsense. Like, the Journal of American Medicine said that that's nonsense. Like, crucifixion was one of the most brutal deaths ever contrived by the human mind. The Roman soldiers who were putting him to death did this as a profession. And if one of their people that they were crucifying didn't actually die, they got crucified. They had a very vested interest in Jesus being dead. And they were good at making sure he was. There's all kinds of details that go into it. But then even if he didn't die and he, he's, he loses all of his blood and has a hole in his heart and is wrapped in burial clothes and 70 pounds of spices and locked in a cold, dark tomb, people will say, well, the cold air and the spices is like essential oils. And it's just kind of like, oh, I'm feeling so much better. So let's, let's say that that happened. So he has, he has no blood, he has holes throughout his whole body, and he wakes up in a cold, dark tomb, unwraps himself from all of these things, then rolls away the stone, and then beats up the Roman guards who would get killed if he got out of there. That's how it went down. You can take that if you want. But I think that is a little bit of a stretch. People will say that all 500 people who all these witnesses... It's like, it's hard to deny 500 witnesses. Like, name a court case with 500 witnesses that that doesn't stand up. 500 eyewitnesses to exactly what happened, saying what happened. People will say, well, it was all like a collective and simultaneous hallucination in a dream. 
nothing like that. There's, there's, that's not how hallucinations work. Like when you're hallucinating, even if you're on drugs, you can't say like, whoa, here, jump into this one. And like, <laughs> like that's not how dreams work. Like you can't wake up your wife in the middle of the night and be like, oh, whoa, it's like we're on vacation. Let's like jump into the dream together. And it's like we're on vacation, but we have to pay for it. You know, like it just doesn't, it just doesn't work like that. And, and so 500 people simultaneously and collectively hallucinating the identical thing on multiple occasions. People will say that, uh, this is a good one, that, the, that it was just, you can't trust the women. So, first of all, you're going to get beat up. <laughs> Second of all, it's like, oh, they were teary-eyed and emotional, and they went to the wrong tomb, and it was empty, and, you know, they, they said they talked to the gardener, and then they later decided that that was Jesus, the Problem with that, one of the major, one of the many problems with that, and then I feel like I'm about to get beat up just for saying it. I don't even, just hold on. The problem with that is the people who needed Jesus to stay in the tomb the most were trying to figure out why the tomb was empty. The Jews, the Romans, they needed Jesus to stay in that tomb. And everything they ever said about this is okay, what's the story for why it's empty? It was empty. It was empty. All of this to say, Jesus raising from the grave is not based on a mythology. It's based on history. The tomb is empty. And the tomb is empty because Jesus is risen. And you can take that to the bank. But now I want to start preaching. Now I want to start preaching because I'm not done yet. I don't want to just tell you to go to the bank. I want to tell you what's going to happen when you take the resurrection to the bank. I want to tell you what you get when you get to the bank with the resurrection. As I have been going over the different accounts of the resurrection recently, I started to see something for the first time that I had never seen before, and it stuck out to me. Once I started to see it, it was like it just was exploding off of the page everywhere I saw it. I don't know if you've ever experienced that with the Bible, but sometimes something sticks out, and it's like you just can't get away from it. You're like, I don't really know what you're trying to say, but there's something there. And so if you've ever been there, and I think maybe, maybe somebody in here, you've even like read the Bible and you've walked away from it because you felt that, but you couldn't get the answer, just keep digging. Don't walk away, just keep digging. God's bringing you into something deeper, all right? Don't get frustrated, just keep saying, okay, Lord, what are you saying? What are you saying? What are you saying? I know how it feels. This is how I was all week with this message. I'm like, God, it's there. I just can't get it out until seven o'clock last night, and here we are. So come on, we're all in this together. Come on, somebody. I know it's a little random, but I just think somebody needed to hear it. Stick with it. God's speaking to you. There's this little phrase that the angels uh, say in each of the accounts where, so three of the four gospels give a conversation that the people had with angels at the graves. They, they, they recount the angelic kind of conversation. And in each of these three accounts, the angels make a comment that I've always missed, but, but, but as I saw it, it, it seemed to be such a big point. So in Matthew 28, 6, we're going to go through this real fast. In Matthew 28, 6, the angels say this. They say, he is not here, for he has risen, as he said. As he said. Mark 16, verses 6 through 7, they're saying, do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. It's not word for word. It's as he said, just as he told you. Luke 24, verse 6. They say, he is not here. He has risen. And they go on and they say, remember how he told you. 
John, in the fourth gospel, he doesn't give the exact details of the angelic conversation, but John gives a personal account of going to the tomb himself. He says, Mary went and saw the empty tomb. He comes back and tells all of them and says, the tomb's empty. And John is giving the account of saying, I was there when Mary came back and said the tomb was empty. And so me and Peter, we took off for the tomb because we had to see it for ourselves. And John is a real humble guy. He talks about how they ran, but he beat Peter. And he's like, I'm a little bit faster than Peter. I wanted to see Jesus a little more. I am, after all, the one whom Jesus loved. I had to see first, right? Dudes. So they run into the tomb. They see the empty tomb. He talks about being amazed. He's giving this personal account of having been there, and he's reflecting on the event, and he's, being, he's personally amazed. He's reflecting back on this event kind of with 2020 hindsight, reflecting on what the emotions and what they were experiencing, and now having seen so much, God has done so much since that day, but I'm reflecting back on it. I'm just kind of piecing all these things together, and he says he remembers so vividly this moment, and he says about them, for as yet they, meaning him and Peter, as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. What I'm trying to say is that in each gospel account, there's a specific highlighting of the fact that Jesus didn't just raise from the dead. He raised from the dead as he said he would raise from the dead. He raised from the dead as the scriptures promised he would raise from the dead. In Luke 24, so back to Luke's letter, he's recounting for this rich guy, this is what happened, and, and he talks about the resurrection in Luke 24, but he's not, he, he doesn't finish his book there. He gives two more accounts of when Jesus, after the resurrection, showed up to some of his followers. One of these times, he shows up to two of his followers who are so de dejected and confused by the fact that Jesus died, and then they start hearing rumblings that the, group, the, 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 the tomb is empty. They don't know what's going on, so they just leave Jerusalem, and they're walking to Emmaus. They're going home. Because it's time to start over. This thing's over. We thought this was going somewhere, but it's not. So what else do we do? We don't know where to go from here, so we're going home. He shows up to these two guys on the way home. The second time is when he shows up into a room full of his disciples who are hiding in a locked room because they're scared of everybody who now knows that they're all idiots for believing in this Jesus guy who's dead now, right? So like they're ashamed and they're scared and they're in this room and Jesus shows up to them because Jesus is dead, but now he needs to show them that he's alive and that this is all working together here, but they weren't on the same page yet. So two times, one on the road, one in the room. And in both of these instances, Luke specifically tells us not just that Jesus showed up to these guys, but what he did when he showed up to these guys. And in both instances, he does two things. First, he sits down and he eats. Praise the Lord. So that's good. <laughs> I like eating, and you can know it's godly. So the first thing he does, he sits down and he eats, and the second thing that he does is he takes the scriptures. It specifically says he takes the scriptures, and he opens them up. And from Moses to the prophets to the Psalms, Every page, every story, every high, every low, every question they've ever had, everything they've ever been taught was him. The, the one thing he did, the two times he showed up, was open up this book. And it says he opened up their minds to understand the scriptures. It said he interpreted to them from the beginning that it was all the scriptures were concerning him. 
Everything had always been as he said. Since the resurrection, because of the resurrection, I want you to know that when you sit down with this Bible, when you invite the word of the Lord into your life, you aren't getting ancient words on an empty page. You are, you are sitting down with the living, risen Christ, the God of the universe, the one who spoke the word, the one who became the word, the one who fulfilled the word. He opened this up with you. And he starts every session that you have with Jesus and your Bible, he starts antsy. And he's looking at you right in the heart. And he's saying, remember that time I rose from the dead just as I said? Let me tell you some other stuff I've said. When you take the resurrection to the bank, you get to cash out on every other promise God has ever made. Jesus didn't just rise from the dead. He stamped it because he rose from the dead as he said he would raise from the dead. And you can be confident that you may not under, always understand what's happening. You may get disappointed still at some times. You may not be able to follow what it is that God's saying, what he meant by what happened, what, the middle, what, it, what, what it is that in the middle that you're in. You may not, only, you may not always be, know what's going on and wrap your mind around it, but you can know it's just as he said. It's just as he said. Because I, I don't know about you, but like I've been on the road to Emmaus. I've been on the road to Emmaus. Like I've talked with friends trying to sort out what just happened, and it doesn't make any sense. I've stood there looking sad. It says they stood there and looked sad because it hurts to lose something and feel like you got nothing for it. I felt the shame of explaining that I really believed God was going to do something this way, and God didn't do that thing that way. I've packed my bags too, ready to just pack it in and go home because this doesn't make any sense anymore. I know what it's like when I hear God say something, and it sure doesn't look like that thing has happened. I've been stuck before on the road to Emmaus wondering, where do I go from here? Stuck in disappointment, stuck in confusion, stuck in pain, stuck in questions, stuck. I've been stuck. And I'm not saying, and Jesus doesn't promise that there's not going to be times in your life that you have confusion. He's not saying that there's not going to be times where you don't get disappointed. He's not saying that everything's always going to make perfect sense. I saw, I saw something this week, too, in Isaiah 55. He says, the word I give it does the purpose I sent it for. That means I can hear it one way, but the purpose is a little different. He's going to stick to the purpose, not necessarily my expectation. Because there's going to be some confusion sometimes. Things won't always be easy. Like, I want us to get hyped about this, this resurrection, this fact that because Jesus did what he said he would do, he will do what he says he will do. I want to get pumped about that, but we also got to keep it real that just because there is a resurrection doesn't mean that there isn't a cross. But because the resurrection, it does mean that the cross is not the end. I need somebody to shout, I'm in the middle. I'm in the middle. I'm in the middle. It means the cross is just the middle. The thing that used to be the end is just the middle. It's just the middle. They thought Emmaus, once they got to Emmaus, they thought Emmaus was the end of the road until they realized that it was Jesus the whole time. Jesus who had been talking to them. Jesus who had been showing the scriptures to them. Jesus who had been fulfilling everything that was ever told about him. Jesus who was fulfilling the resurrection that he said he would do. When they realized it was Jesus, what they thought was the end of the road just became the middle. Because they turn right back around and head back towards Jerusalem. And because of the resurrection, things that you thought were the end, you're just in the middle. You're just in the middle. Because resurrection's coming. Just like he said it would. 
When you don't understand the word of God, don't pull away. When you don't understand what's happening in life, don't pull away. Don't compromise. Don't quit. Don't go get a drink. Don't, don't, don't leave. Don't run away. Take this word when you don't understand, when it hurts, when it's hard, when you're confused, when it's not looking like what you thought it was going to look like. You take this word because of the resurrection. You take this word. You go straight to the bank. You sit down with this risen Christ. And you say, Jesus, I'm at the end. I'm at the end of what I've got. I'm at the end of what I understand. I'm at the end of what I can do. And I need something. I need a touch. I need a revelation. I need an understanding. I need an interpretation. And I could run, but I'm here. Jesus, I need you to take me to the bank on your word. And you let this risen Christ who keeps his word speak his word. He is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He is the one who baptizes in the Holy Spirit and of fire. He is the one who raises from the dead just like he said he would. He never leaves. He never forsakes. He so loved the world that he gave himself so that anybody who believes would not perish but have eternal life. And that means you can be born again, that the old can pass away, the new can come. When the sun sets you free, you are free indeed. You are no longer a slave to sin. You are adopted into this kingdom as a child of the living God. You are adopted. He is faithful. All of his promises are yes and amen. He heals the sick. He raises the dead. He seeks the lost. He destroys the work of the devil. He rose from the dead. And you can take it to the bank, just like he said he would. And now your life, your life, you get to see him be faithful to everything else he ever said too. Let's go to the bank. That's how we respond to the Easter season. That's where we go from here. Like we say around here all the time, salvation, the resurrection, it's an invitation, not a destination. You're in the middle. You're in the middle. Can we worship this morning as we close? Go ahead and stand up. We love responding to the word of God. We've got just a few minutes together left, and we love to worship because we, we don't just do that because it's good to end with a song. We believe that the Holy Spirit's moving. We believe that this is the living act of Word of God, and that whether I said something that hits you or not, the Holy Spirit's stirring in your heart. And I want to just make some, uh, 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 some space for a few minutes for all of us to respond. You may, that may mean you don't do anything that looks like anything to anybody else. That doesn't matter. We're going to have people off to the side where they would love to pray with you if you want prayer for something. You might be in the middle of something. And you just need somebody to stand with you. I love that on the road to Emmaus, it wasn't just one of them, it was two of them. Because sometimes you just got to go through something with somebody. And we can do this together. You don't have to be ashamed of anything. You might be locked in a room because you're scared. You might be locked in a room because you're discouraged. Your heart might be locked up, just turned off to the things of God because you thought it was going to go one way and it didn't go that way. I want you to know this morning you're in the middle. You're in the middle. You might be on the road walking away this morning. You might be headed towards Emmaus, heading back to where you were before this whole thing even started, before you ever heard about Jesus, before you bought into this whole thing, got so disappointed, got so confused. It's okay. It's okay. It's not the first time Jesus will have shown up to somebody on the road walking home. He can, he's done it again, just as he said, he'll do it for you. This morning, Turn your heart to Jesus, every single one of us. And I just want to ask that wherever you're at, maybe you don't even know Jesus and you need to just turn and you need to, you need to give your life to Jesus this morning. 
And I know that there's still some questions. I've still got some questions about plenty of things in life, plenty of things about the Bible. But the central issue of Jesus being the Son of God, risen from the grave and filling us with the Holy Spirit so that we can be in relationship with God like we were always made to be, you can take it to the bank. You can take it to the bank. And if you need to turn your life to Jesus this morning, today is the perfect day to do it. Because I'm telling you, that tomb is empty. He's risen. And today can be the start of you starting to cash out on everything else he said too. Can we stand on the word of God this morning? If you need to give your life to Jesus, talk to the friend who brought you. Go talk to somebody off to the side. If you need somebody to pray with you for anything, we, we, we're, we're crazy enough to believe that Jesus does the miracles he said he would do. He sets us free. Come on, this is, this is a moment of power. This isn't just the closing of a service on Sunday. God is in the room. The risen God is in the room. And he's ready to speak to you. He's ready to unleash his word over your life. Do whatever you have to do to respond. On the road to Emmaus, they said, once they looked back, they said, of course it was Jesus. Didn't we feel our hearts burning? Our hearts were burning. If you're wondering what it's like when God speaks, it's like that. Whatever it is that your heart's burning to do right now, do it. Don't don't care what anybody has to say, what anybody has to think about it. You let God burn in your heart and let him take care of the rest. Let's burn this morning. Let's let the word of God into our life. Jesus, we love you. We thank you that you have risen from the dead. We thank you that you are present here in this moment. Lord, we thank you that you meet us here right now. You meet us when we're full enough of faith to go to the grave. We're scared enough to lock ourselves in rooms. We're over it enough to walk on back home. Lord, you meet us in every season, in every place. You come to us. And I thank you for that, Lord, that you come just like you said you would always come. We're inviting you now, Holy Spirit, speak to our hearts. Lord, would you say what needs to be said to every individual and to us as a church this morning? Move in us this morning, God. If there's anybody here who doesn't know you, Lord, I'm asking that you would just give the gift of faith right now to turn their life to you. I'm asking over every question and every doubt, Lord, would you give us answers, God? Would you give us something to stand on, Lord? Would you speak something in this moment? This moment, April 7, 2019, that we can hold on to forever. In these final minutes, Lord, we worship you. We lift up the mighty name of Jesus.